Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, January 23rd, 2023. Happy birthday to my sister, Christina. On the show today, news, listener questions, and news surveys. Then in our main segment, Jim and I talk about the history of Animal Kingdom's Wild Africa Trek, which made its debut on this day back in 2011. Let's get started by bringing in the man who said the best piece of relationship advice his mother ever gave him was, just because you see red flags doesn't mean it's a carnival. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? It is going well. And by the way, uh, just take a moment to to tip of the hat to my mom, who turns 91 next month. Originally born Barbara Ann Grant. Uh, We have a silver christening cup with her initials, B-A-G, bag. (laughs) (laughs) Then uh, the poor woman, she then goes on to marry my father, uh, Frank Robert Hill, in 1953. So now her initials get turned to B-A-H, bah. You know, so bag to bah. You know, it's like (laughs) very dignified woman. So, Jim, I I think the fact that your mom has made it to ninety one and is your mom means she is genetically impervious to stress. (laughs) Like we should be studying your mom for a variety of reasons, Jim. (laughs) One of the things I'm genuinely grateful to my mom for. I mean, I, I I feel like I get my storytelling ability from my dad, but my sense of humor from my mom. But I remember very vividly being like four years old and carrying a piece of paper to my mom and saying, I need a map of the woods behind the house. Could you help me out here? And, and she she studied. She was a Boston University art student. And so, again, she sits down and she draws a map of the woods behind her house. And so she, she does the known landmarks as, as the Elephant Rock and Monkey Tree House. But then at the edge, the very edge of the map, she literally letters in, here be dragons. <laughs> Nice nod. Nice nod. Well, no, that's it exactly. And it just, you know, just, I was forever grateful for the notion of, you know, I'm in suburban Massachusetts. All right. You know, it's just the yeah. notion of, you know, step over the stone wall and it's like, wow, over there, there could be dragons. There could be dragons. Like, that's okay. beautiful. So That's a fantastic story. Well, happy birthday to your mom. Well, I, I will. I will. So. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers, Rachel Shero, Chris Douglas, and Diz Girl Tammy. And longtime subscribers, Emily Marcus, Deb Bray, and Kathy Hines. Jim, these are the Disney cast members who are magically turned into furniture and other household accessories when they go to work at the soon-to-be-reopened Enchanted Tales with Belle over in Walt Disney World's Magic Kingdom. They say that while being turned into a clock or wardrobe isn't the most traditional job, the maintenance oil that Imagineering uses does wonders for the skin. True story. You never think about how these roles are filled, do you, Jim? And yet there's a story behind each of them. I have so many questions about, you know, the the the, the, the job roof. postings for that. Yeah. There we go. We'll just leave it at that. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. Exactly. Exactly. How do you feel about mahogany? <laughs> exactly. You good with paint? Late? Are you allergic to latex paint? There just asking. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. All right, Jim. Let's do the news, folks. The Disney Dish News is brought to you by Storybook Destinations, trusted travel partner of the Disney Dish Podcast. For a worry-free travel experience every time, book online at storybookdestinations.com. All right, Jim, Disney has announced dates for Flower and Garden, mm-hmm. which will take place from March 1st through July 5th, 2023. My calendar people tell me that's two days longer than last year. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, character greetings uh, have reopened in the Magic Kingdom. So Pete's Silly Sideshow reopened last week, where you can now meet Donald, Goofy, Daisy, and Minnie again. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, meet Ariel at her grotto. 
reopened yesterday, January 22nd as well. And Enchanted Tales with Belle, as we mentioned in the opening, mm-hmm. will uh, we'll come back on February 19th, 2023. With what's about to come online in the Magic mm-hmm. Kingdom, if you look at the corona effect about how much busier the area is directly around this brand new attraction. They're going to need things to pull people away from Tomorrowland. <laughs> That's it, exactly. And, <laughs> and it's not Frontierland because no. Splash Mountain is closed. Yeah. New. No. So, uh, and continuing on. Uh, speaking of openings, Tron annual passholder previews will begin March 4th, hmm. 2023. Also, we've heard that cast member previews start on February 6th and run through March 3rd. So my guess, Jim, and this hasn't been hmm. announced, even rumored, but uh, my guess is we'll see a media preview event for Tron around February 27th or 28th. And the reason why I think it's those two days is it'll allow Disney to showcase both Tron before annual pass holders, because once annual pass holders get in, then it's all over social media. And it'll allow Disney to preview Flower and Garden to the media before it opens on March 1st. So my guess is that's the those are the dates. And I think, again, if my, if my calendaring, Jim, is correct, February 27th and 28th is a Monday-Tuesday, so that would allow media to travel on Monday, mm-hmm. do the thing Monday afternoon and Tuesday. I would say that's a smart bit of scheduling. And more to the point, that's a pretty safe bet. Jim, my only question here is whether media relations has enough time to coordinate mm-hmm. that travel. Because really, we're looking at one, two, three, four weeks before then. And you know, if you're inviting in hundreds of media attendees, four weeks is about the absolute shortest amount of time that you can have to coordinate things like flights and transportation and hotel rooms and still have most of the media in one hotel, one or two or three hotels, right? Mm -hmm. So they're not spread out over property. So if we're going to hear about a media event, I guess we would hear about it soon. Just the other wrinkle to add to the pile here, even that late in February is still just sort of one toe left in winter. And uh, all it takes is, is one storm that hangs over Chicago. And Yeah, great point. Yeah. I mean, one winter storm coming through Atlanta wrecks everything, right? That's, there we go. That's actually there a great point. It's entirely possible. Yeah. So <laughs> you, there's probably people at Disney on the, on the phone with both Amtrak and Alamo. <laughs> like, okay, if we had to. <laughs> Our backup plan is this. All right. There you go. There you Speaking go. of uh, openings over in Disneyland, we've heard that Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway will use mm-hmm. a virtual queue in Lightning Lane when it opens. Actually, later this week, Jim, January 27th. The uh, yes. the Lightning Lane, not a surprise because that's mm-hmm. also in Walt Disney World. The virtual queue is interesting. My guess is this is just to moderate demand when it first opens, right? Yeah. I mean, if you remember what happened with Rise of the Resistance and how quickly, at least in California, they stepped away from this. Going to be interesting to see how long that sticks. My guess is not very long, yeah. Also, uh, some Disneyland news. The French Market will close on February 17th and will be reimagined as Tiana's Palace, which will open later in 2023. Still be themed to New Orleans and won't be character dining, but Jim, this is part of the uh, conversion of the New Orleans Square over to Tiana's. I, I kind of welcome this. The um, The menu looks interesting. The premise looks uh, good. It's always good to get a refresh on stuff like this. No doubt. No doubt. But my one concern is the French market wasn't wanting for, I mean, it was always busy already. You know, I always love going to that little booth there in the restaurant and queuing up to get my, my mint julep and my beignets. Mint julep. It felt like you were at the Kentucky Derby every day, right? 
there you go. There you go. And now it's like, oh, good. Let, let's let's make this Princess and the Frog theme because I, I wanted that to be busier. I wanted the beignet line to dredge out it's to Adventureland. Definitely going to increase demand. And the you know, I'm my, I'm guessing that they're going to have more more freedom with the menu to try new things. So I'm super excited about this. And I know that our own guy Selga, who covers Disneyland every day for us, will be super excited to try every single thing on the menu too. <sighs> Lucky guy. <laughs> also, one more bit of news. We mentioned, Jim, last week that over in the Morocco Pavilion in Epcot, Disney had added uh, recorded voices mm-hmm. to the second floor windows around the pavilion. And our own Christina had mentioned seeing Imagineers with laser measurement devices and pointers talking about construction. Well, Chrissy was back in Morocco this week for the Festival of the Arts food booths and saw more Imagineers, but this time, Jim, with actual blueprints walking so walking around Morocco. So something's going on there. My guess, my guess is if I had to guess, if like right now, not knowing anything about anything, Jim, I'm saying bar. Remember, the, the government of Morocco walked away from the civilian two years ago, three years ago. Pre-pandemic, yeah. Yeah. What is time, Jim? Yeah. We have seen what happened with putting Remy's Ratatouille Adventure next door at France and what that's done to the popularity of oh, that yeah. pavilion. It has made that a destination pavilion. Not only that, Jim, but mm-hmm. when Laurel was down mm-hmm. here a couple, you know, a couple weeks ago during her school break, mm-hmm. you know, we walked back because we're. I was like, hey, let's go grab a crepe because I think mm-hmm. the crepe restaurant mm-hmm. is actually one of the best values for dining in Walt Disney World. Mm-hmm. And we went back there, and <laughs> Jim. There was no way we were getting in. Not only that, but the uh, you know the counter service window mm-hmm. next to the crepe place had a line that I believe stretched from here to Marseille. <sighs> I'm not good with measurements, but it looked that long. I'm like, they could be making enough money on just crepes, Jim, to pay for that entire pavilion expansion, except for the ride. The kind of one-two punch of putting the Skyliner station just, again, International Gateway, which is, you know, in between the UK and and France, and then opening Remy's Ratatouille Adventure. Just, this is a hyper busy part of the park. Oh yeah, totally, and it's the it's right there. Also, you mentioned that, and it's kind of funny because uh, it reminded me of the number of people that I saw mm-hmm. at the International Gateway getting off the Skyliner and immediately walking over to the waterway to take pictures of themselves in front of the back of the France Pavilion. That's yeah, that's that's really interesting, Jen. That's a good that's a good tip. Yeah, so it's not just what the Imagineers are potentially looking to do with Morocco, which again, mm-hmm. you know, the notion of we need an attraction of size to take some heat off of France. Yeah. But for decades now, the Japan Pavilion at Epcot uh, has had that space at the bottom of the castle that's been used for temporary exhibits. Doing nothing. There's a storage building right back there uh, that was, you know, once upon a time, supposed to host the American version of Meet the World. And if we look hard at Epcot, and we've talked in the past about pavilions that got really close to being built around World yeah. Showcase, you know, whether it was Spain, whether it was Brazil. And the belief at this point is like, we're killing France. We need to create attractions in the immediate vicinity that take some steam off of this. You you mentioned this, and while you were talking, I pulled up Mm -hmm. Google Maps Street View Mm -hmm. of Morocco. And as soon as you mentioned Japan, Mm -hmm. I realized there's actually an expansion pad that is totally empty, except for some storage stuff, 
between Japan and Morocco. And not only that, mm -hmm. there's about a third of the back of the Morocco pavilion mm -hmm. that's only being used for what looks like cast member parking in some temporary buildings. Mm -hmm. So they've really got one and a third pavilion expansion pads that they could build something on, Jim. Yeah. And don't want to get into IPs, though they're the ones you think. Do you think, do you think it would be a Morocco uh, expansion or a Japan expansion? If we're going to build in the back part of World Showcase between France and America, yeah, shouldn't we bite really bite the bullet rather than do one? Would would it maybe be a smart idea to do two? While you've got the hood open, while you've got the the cranes over there, there we go, there we go. But there's wow. a reason why they keep circling back there with blueprints. I, I think right. part of the problem right now is convincing Disney's board. You know, at a time when you're already pouring a ridiculous amount of money into the old uh, Future World section of the park. It's like, hey, you know, we also need to do something at the back of World Showcase because, frankly, we have an issue right now with France. Well, there's a number of things, too, right? We all know that new attractions are what drives people to visit theme parks. Mm -hmm. And Epcot's got room without having to expand beyond the berms. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Magic Kingdom doesn't really. And the Magic Kingdom just got, you know, is getting a new attraction in Tron and stuff like that. I do note, Jim, that there's actually room on both sides mm -hmm. of the Japan Pavilion. That's interesting. By the way, have you heard that Disney's Parks CapEx was like quietly increased by over a billion dollars after the fiscal year started? Yeah, I, I think we, we actually talked about this in a recent Disney-ish, but more to the point, you and I also talked about Given what it costs to make a new Disney attraction of size these days. Yeah, that might be like two things. <laughs> no, that's it exactly. So just to bring this to where the story started today, when when Chrissy reached out the other day and said, I'm back in Epcot and the people with the blueprints are back. It's like, yeah. behave yourself. <laughs> you know, exactly. You know, the, it's considered poor form to tackle an Imagineer and rip papers out of their hands. You know? <laughs> Like, what are you looking at? And she at? knows that now, Jim. And she knows that now. Okay. Well, now. there we go. So. All right. All right, Jim. We have time for some surveys. Mm -hmm. Let's go over them because some of them are new and interesting. Our friend Jim Martin sent in a universal survey with a question I've never seen before. And the question is this. What's the funniest thing that's ever happened to you while visiting a theme park? Are they trying to capture some magic here and be like, oh, we can reproduce this on scale? Because uh, Jim mentioned uh, interacting with citizens of Hollywood mm -hmm. while he was eating something. And I'm like, that it was a great story. Mm -hmm. But I guess my question is, is like, are they trying to find commonality in what's funny and do something with that? That is a, a genuinely strange question. Because face it, humor is subjective. Humor is personal. Yeah. But the funniest thing that ever happened to you while visiting a theme park Got to make a call or two to Universal and find out what is that about. Yeah, what what are you doing with that information? Because Jim mm -hmm. had a great anecdote, but like, what do you what do you do with that? I guess it would be like, is it you? If you broke down the answers, right, mm -hmm. and it was here's something funny that my family said, mm -hmm. right. Well, that's one kind of story. Mm -hmm. But if it's a funny encounter with a cast member, especially like to Jim's point, mm -hmm. a Citizens of Hollywood mm -hmm. cast member or a role playing cast member. Then that might be something they could replicate at scale, in which case they would do it, right? So maybe that's what they're looking for there. All true. All true. Let me know what you find out. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Our friend Tim mm -hmm. sent in a Disney survey where the sequence of questions might reveal what Disney is thinking. Mm -hmm. So uh, there's three questions here I want to go through with you, Jim. Um, one of them is this. 
which of the following describe why you did not spend more days at a Walt Disney World theme park on your most recent trip? And we've talked about this before, right? Then there are choices like there's not enough entertainment. Uh, I wanted to visit other Central Florida theme parks or water parks. I wanted to spend more downtime not in the parks and so on. The next question after that was, of the things that you selected, what was the top reason why you did not spend more days at a Walt Disney World theme park? And this is where Tim's responses made me think. Because mm -hmm. Tim's responses were all about the cost of the trip. Mm -hmm. So in this case, the question read, you know, what's the top reason why you didn't spend more time at Walt Disney World? And the choices were, I wanted to limit my tri trip cost. It wasn't worth the price to add another day to my ticket Ooh. for another reason. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then the next time, the next question after that, or like you know, a couple of questions later was, how many times have you ever visited or experienced each of the following? And it was Shanghai Disney, Disneyland Paris, a non-Disney multi-day cruise vacation, Tokyo Disney, Hong Kong Disney, Alani, a Disney cruise, Adventures by Disney, or the Disneyland Resort. And I think here, Jim, this combination of questions, especially mm -hmm. when people answer cost, might be trying, might be Disney trying to figure out how many dedicated fans they're pricing out. You and I have talked about how Disney may be losing the middle class. Yeah, young families, yeah. So, yeah. yeah. And that's interesting. But if they're um, also losing sort of dedicated fans, we've talked about this before, right? We've, I think the phrase we use on the show was like eating your seed corn. There we go. Which is basically like alienating your core group of advocates, the true Disney fans. Mm -hmm. I think this might be them trying to quantify that. We'll see. Nice to see them finally acting on this, but I'm, I am a little concerned that the barn door has been open for quite a while. Yeah, I think I think the question is we see that the ship is crashing into the dock. The question is is how big of a hole will the will the ship make on this particular dock, right? Like maybe maybe try and steer the ship not into the dock. I'm just saying. Yeah. It's funny, I have a um, I have an interview coming up tomorrow with a um, with a business magazine mm -hmm. and part of the the questions that they're asking around around what Bob Iger's challenges are. And I'm like, well the problem is is things like Genie Plus are extremely unpopular. Yeah. with dedicated guests, mm -hmm. but they probably brought in a billion dollars in revenue like, over the last year. They right? did. So if you look at activist inv investors mm -hmm. who are clamoring for Disney to lower costs and, mm -hmm. and increase margins, and they're buying up stock in order to get on the board to do that, you can't walk away from a billion dollars in rev, no, right? No. On the other hand, it's alienating people. So what do you, you know, it's a, it's a, it's rock in a hard place. So I don't know if you've seen the number of interviews that Josh tomorrow has done just over the past week to 10 days where he's, you know, we are making changes. Yeah. Making changes. He was in the magic kingdom yesterday, walking around with Iger mm -hmm. in the magic kingdom in Tomorrowland. So, you know, Jim, I, I think it's absolutely common for the, for a, a company CEO mm -hmm. and the president of the parks to, you know, just walk into the magic kingdom and grab a, uh, a float from anti-gravity. That's just another day. <laughs> There's nothing to be. I will say this though. Somebody sent me a photo of, of Iger walking and, and in all seriousness, mm -hmm. that dude is dressed really well. Like he is, not only does he look good, it yeah. all looks very casual and it looks super comfortable. Yeah. Like the first thing I noticed in that picture, you know, other than the fact that Bob Iger was, was in the magic kingdom, I'm like, I would love, and I'm being serious here. I would love to talk to a stylist because I would adopt this look if I knew what to buy. Honest to God, Jim, literally the first thing I thought after like, oh, Bob Iger's in the Magic Kingdom. Uh, Trades yesterday had a story about the new chairman of Disney's board, the gentleman from Nike. His yeah. going away present for, for Bob Iger were six pairs of Nike's best. Hey, Mr. Casual, let add this to your, to your wardrobe. 
Well, Nike bought Echo, which is one of my favorite pairs of uh, favorite brands of casual shoes. They're super mm-hmm. comfortable, uh, you know, for me. So I, you know, I, t- I totally get that. Okay. Yeah, but I was looking at the session. I'm like, oh, he's in the Magic Kingdom, and like, like I know exactly where he is. And God, where I would love to get his look. Like, where's People Magazine on how to get Bob Iger's look? <laughs> Okay, okay. But to circle back to Mr. DeMauro, while he was doing those interviews this past week, he said, again, changes are coming, but we are going to keep reservations. Yeah, they seem really hung up on that. And that actually leads into the next survey question Mm -hmm. uh, that we got. Okay. And it's uh, from James Mm -hmm. uh, with another Universal Orlando survey. He says says this, I recently got a Universal Orlando survey regarding a strategy for controlling attendance when Epic Universe opens, there were several questions about my opinions on Disney's park reservation system. Mm-hmm. But the method that was suggested for Universal was to require visitors to hold multi-day tickets with some days spent in other yeah, Universal Studios, Florida, or Islands of Adventure in order to gain entrance to Epic Universe. And there were questions uh, around how that would affect trip planning or my desire to go, mm-hmm. but no questions on other possible methods for entry. Maybe some of your other listeners got that survey and can recall more about it. And Jim, the interesting thing about this is we've seen Disney surveys mm-hmm. that ask whether you would prefer to make one reservation for the first day of your trip as an alternative to the current reservation system. What is intriguing about these two ideas is the whole notion of skin in the game. You're coming to Walt Disney World. If you want to get to the Magic Kingdom, we want the first day of your vacation off of the plane. Mm-hmm the time when you have the most money in your wallet yeah and most people i think if i guessed most people head to the magic kingdom on the first day of their trip yeah yeah but especially heading into orlando of the future where again you know just talking about an epic universe rising up and and being the next generation of theme parks that may change if disney deliberately sets up a reservation system where okay you want to get access to the park you got to commit first day of your trip to here yeah I don't know if I told you this, but you know we're we're working on a redesign of the website, and one of the things that I um, I did uh, for the website is I it went looking for in our surveys mm-hmm. comments about you know the website and the utility and stuff like that, and mm-hmm. and the side effect of that is I ended up reading literally thousands of comments mm-hmm. about Walt Disney World and Universal, mm-hmm. and the number of times that people said nice things about the fact that Universal didn't have park reservations. Like, Jim, it happened over and over and over again. Mm. Like, it's, it's a constant theme. So I get that everyone in Disney understands that it's a pain point for consumers. The only thing I got to believe is they're, they're making so much extra money or they're saving so much money on labor mm-hmm. that it has to be almost out of the question for them to change it because it's so unpopular. The thing that they must be getting in return mm-hmm must be so valuable to them that they're hesitant to even talk about it. Just to sort of tie back in with last week's show, remember we, we talked about the announcement that people would no longer have to pay to park at the on-site resorts yeah. at Walt Disney World. And but again, I mean, give, give Disney credit. They gave up revenue there. They gave up that revenue. They gave up something that guests have complained about. Yeah. But, you know, it's, it's a case of what are we willing to toss over to the side? The reservation, yeah. the money we make off of reservations and lightning. Genie plus, like, or, yeah, I mean, Or not, parking. Yeah. Hey, you know, you, you pile up one pile of money next to another pile of money. Oh, that's smaller. Okay, we can lose that. I wonder if that was a, if that was a test to see how far that specific thing mm-hmm. moved the needle. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong. It was something that we complained about every year in the book. 
So it's a good thing mm -hmm. in general. The thing that Bob Selinger asked me to do for the book is to put that, you know, 15, 20, $25 per day of savings mm -hmm. in the context of every other thing that now costs money that didn't before. Mm -hmm. Right. So I haven't done that yet, but when I do, I'll, I'll mention it on, 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 okay. the, on the show. Interested to see, see what you find out there. All right. Uh, Diana sent in another universal survey that asked, among other things, mm -hmm. for you to describe fans of certain celebrities, mm -hmm. movie franchises, and places. And lots of people send in similar surveys. I think, Jim, whenever Universal sends out a new survey, mm -hmm. we get like a dozen of them on the first day. So thank God, you to uh, Andy. love you, people. Uh, thank uh, you. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. So thanks to uh, Andy, Natan, mm -hmm. Michael, David, Stephen, Matt, Andrew, and many, many more who sent mm -hmm. in this. Um, so here's the, uh, here's the question. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them follow the similar, uh, similar way. It's how would you describe the hardcore fans of Jurassic World? Mm -hmm. And it's an either or. So imagine two columns of words right? Mm -hmm. And they're opposites and you have to choose one or the other. So, uh, so how would you describe hardcore fans of Jurassic world? One choice is ordinary mm -hmm. or unique. The next one is upper class or lower class. Mm -hmm. And this is where Diana wrote in and says like, I'm, I'm kind of uncomfortable mm -hmm. having to categorize hardcore fans mm -hmm. as, you know, upper class or lower class. And I guess the, the, the question that she had is like, what do you do with that information mm -hmm. if you're universal? So other other you know pairs of words nerdy and cool, mm -hmm. introverted and extroverted, mm -hmm. mostly men, mostly women, respectful or inconsiderate, mm -hmm. serious and silly, highly educated, basic education, insufferable, likable, and so on. And so um, the people, places, and things that were mentioned in this survey mm -hmm. include things like Mickey Mouse, mm -hmm. Stranger Things, Disney Parks and Resorts. And Ryan Reynolds. Oh. <laughs> Canada's national treasure. No, no, not Ryan Reynolds. Yeah, like if Ryan's listening to the show, and I'm not saying he doesn't because I don't know. Um, if you need those survey results, we might be able to get them for you. Let me know. <laughs> Have you been following what's been going on with the tech rehearsals of Super Nintendo World out in, uh, in Hollywood? No, I haven't. I'm trying to go in spoiler-free, but what okay. have you heard? Okay. It's been kind of interesting to watch what's been happening about one specific issue, Len. And this is Sightlines. There are Disney fans who have been going into Super Nintendo World and literally standing in the middle of this highly themed environment and deliberately looking for angles for where, for example, if you stand down in that land... You can see out and see, for example, the Jurassic World drop building or the uh, Universal Sheraton at the, the very top of the upper lot. And they're posting these photos online to the effect of, oh, look how poorly themed Super Nintendo World is and what a disappointment it is. And it's, on the other hand, the Universal fans are like, you had to work so hard to find that angle to, and to then post this photo, the fact that you were working this hard to knock down a brand new land at Universal that hasn't even officially opened yet. It's in technical rehearsal. And it's just this whole notion of there are these folks who treat Disney and Universal like they're sports teams. It's like, yeah, fans, yeah. Disney is my team, so I have to talk down Universal because it can't be possible that yeah, Universal has better attractions at its theme parks than Disney has. And and conversely, the folks, you know, who are fans of Universal to the effect of, oh my God, you know, look at what, you know, we're doing. You know, we're building in, in Las Vegas. We're building in Frisco, Texas. We, we just opened this. And what's Disney doing? Trying to figure it out. It's board of directors. I love the uh, the sports team 
analogy. I have never seen Universal and Disney as a rivalry that way because when one does something good, mm-hmm. it just raises the bar for the other one. So it's sort of a win-win. It's such, yeah, it's interesting. I've never, I've never thought about uh, Disney and Universal uh, that way. I definitely feel that way about Coke and Pepsi. Oh. <laughs> right, but not. But isn't that weird? Like Disney and Universal. I'm like, yeah, no, they're both great. Doctor Pepperlin, Doctor Pepper. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Ryan sent in an ESPN survey that asked which days of the week the NFL should play its wild card weekend games. As many of you know, the NFL had a Monday night game this week for the playoffs, mm-hmm. and that was the Cowboys and the Buccaneers, and had not done this prior to 2022. Mm-hmm. So the question is this: In your opinion, mm-hmm. which days of the week? Should the NFL wildcard games air on? Select all that apply. And Ryan picked Saturday and Sunday. And I think, Jim, Mm -hmm. this has to do with what Disney's willing to pay for broadcast rights for these games. So I think in the near future, for example, Disney has to decide how much ESPN and ABC are willing to pay for things like the NBA and college football broadcast rights because they're very expensive, right? I think Amazon's paying like a billion dollars a year for just one Thursday night football game per week plus like one preseason game. Mm-hmm. And ESPN viewership is on a downward slope. So Disney's trying to figure out what kind of viewership it might get if ESPN or ABC carried a Monday night football playoff game, I think. That's my idea. What do you think? I think you were right on the money here. If you think about when Disney bought ABC Cap Cities back in 1995, ESPN was sort of the add-on, not realizing you know what that would turn into for the company and how much money it would make. And, hmm. and now to live in this world where people are cutting their ties to cable and trying to decide yeah. which subscription streaming services they subscribe to or which terrestrial television you know that they continue to watch. And it's a very 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 different media landscape and you mentioned that you mentioned the the cord cutting and stuff um the one thing i have seen though is that sports mm-hmm. is the one thing that people will not watch later like sports has to be watched when it happens live mm-hmm. nobody's waiting three days to go back and watch a replay of the game that's so that's where they have the most opportunity mm-hmm. to say i know how many people are viewing this like it's immediate viewing things and sports is unique in that respect. Super interesting. Excellent observation. Oh, cool. Jim, we have a bunch of listener questions, but we're um, already running a little bit mm. uh, long on the show. So we're going to save those for next week. Okay. We're going to take a quick commercial break. Mm-hmm. And when we come back, you and I will talk about the history of Animal Kingdom's Wild Africa Trek, which is celebrating its 12th anniversary this week. I was super excited when you mentioned this topic because it's one of the few things for which I was there opening day and did in terms of the tour. It's also where I met my co-author on the Disney Cruise Line book, Aaron Foster, for the first time in person. I did not know that. Oh. Yeah. And Joe Rody, but I've met Joe Rody like 16 or 17 times. Okay. Okay. All right. So I'm imagining that this tour Mm -hmm. did not spring fully formed from the mind of Imagineering, that it had some sort of setup or history or previous idea. The very first guided tour at Disneyland Park actually uh, got underway in September of 58. It was 26 months after the park opened. And this is a trial balloon, needed additional revenue thing for the park. Let's see if there's any interest in this. So that they launch it in the fall of 58. By January 59, it is so popular, Len, there are now... 32 members of the uh, tour guide staff. 
All right. They're not even advertising it at this point. Right. Well, why would, yeah, you wouldn't need to. You got 30 some employees. It's demand is there. Yeah. Yeah. So jumping ahead to Walt Disney World now, of course, when this park opens up in October of 71, the first 14 women who were tour guides at the park, they had been giving tours of Disney World starting in January of 1970. When, when the preview center opened on Hotel Plaza, these young ladies who got the job after competing against hundreds of folks, and I, in fact, I, I once got to chat with uh, Debbie Dane Brown, who went on to be the very first ambassador of Walt Disney World. And she talked about how bizarre it was to spend months walking people through that space and, and gesturing to the three-foot-tall version of Cinderella Castle. And then they went October 1st of 1971. They closed the preview center and all of the young ladies now go over to the Magic Kingdom where they're now touring people through the actual physical park. And it's like to go from the three <laughs> foot. Like, this is a lot bigger in person. Well, no, that's it exactly. <laughs> this is exhausting. Like, you know, it's like, and it's not in plexiglass. Hey, that's a good choice. But anyway, as, as each of the new parks open up, Epcot, October of 82, Disney Hollywood Studio, May of 89. And then, of course, Animal Kingdom, April 22nd, 1998. They all got their own guided tours with each of these tailored to the that park-specific offerings. So, you know, for example, Epcot had its behind-the-scenes tour at the, the Land mm -hmm. Pavilion, Dive Quest at Living Seas. Uh, Hollywood Studios used to have – you remember that eight-hour-long experience where – you ate at the Brown Derby, you got front-lined every attraction, and you even got to go backstage in animation and paint a cell. No, I haven't heard this. You got to go paint a cell? Yeah. I mean, well, again, back in the day, you got to do all of that for 200 bucks, Len. Wow. And of course, you know, if you did the behind-the-scenes tour at the Magic Kingdom, once upon a time, they took you down into the Utilidors and yep. showed those off. The Keys to the Kingdom still does that, but it's really hard to get into that tour now. Absolutely. Anyway, Animal Kingdom, on the other hand... Going behind the scenes was problematic. Priority one at this park is the safety, comfort, and health of the animals. And right. so much of the $750 million that was spent on phase one of Animal Kingdom was spent on items that guests never see or experience. The state-of-the-art barns, their, their back of house where uh, the animals are returned every night to be fed for their wellness checks and the like. And by the way, if you really do want to see this side of Walt Disney World, there is the Care of Giants tour, typically offered yeah. four times a day. This takes you back to the Elephant Barns and mm -hmm. $35 for an hour-long experience. You get to see how they're fed and cared for. There's also Up Close with Rhinos because the white rhinos are a little harder to finesse. That's typically only offered once a day, but again, and it's $45. But same thing, you get, go, get to go back to the barns where the, the, the rhinos are fed and taken care of and get to see that. Right. On the other hand, season two of The Magic of Disney's Animal Kingdom just started up over at, at Disney Plus and narrated by friend of the show, now Disney legend, Josh Gad. Very enjoyable, Len. Oh, if you haven't right. seen it, yeah. definitely check that out. But those were the only two tours that you could do backstage in Animal Kingdom, largely because that theme park was set up to keep both the animals and the guests safe because setting up enclosures that had huge, deep trenches between the guests and the animals to give you the, the impression that there are no barriers. <laughs> but here's the thing. Even with deep barriers, animals will get out. Uh, did you see just earlier this week the, the news out of Dallas about Nova, the clouded leopard that got out? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
These things happen, Jim. It did end happily. I mean, they closed the zoo for the day and then began looking for Nova. And it turns out she'd only gone a couple of yards away in a thicket of trees near her enclosure. And they were eventually able to persuade her out of the tree and back into her enclosure. On the other hand, there are folks in Dorchester, Massachusetts, who still talk about what happened in 2003, where twice inside of two months, Little Joe, a five-foot-tall adolescent gorilla, got out of his enclosure at Franklin Park Zoo and then made it out onto Blue Hill Avenue. (laughs) (laughs) And in, in both cases, you know, Little Joe was taken down in a hail of tranquilizer darts and then hauled back to the zoo, but he had managed to climb out of his enclosure twice. And, and this had a moat that was supposed to keep him at a distance between the guests at Franklin Park. And so Disney wanted to avoid this exact same thing when it began toying with the idea of doing a special onstage experience at Disney right. Animal Kingdom, uh, something that would seem to place the guests in with the animals, but not really. So this brings us to Wild Africa Trek at uh, Disney's Animal Kingdom rose out of the wreckage of Disney's Night Kingdom. That was a minor park that was proposed for Walt Disney World back in in 2008, right? Yeah, ish. Yeah. Yeah. So the Imagineers take elements from Disney's Night Kingdom, for example, uh, suspension bridges, you know, that were placed over crocodile pits. And then after carefully examining the 110 acres over which the Kilimanjaro Safari Experience is staged, with its various enclosures with hidden fences, they carefully carve out a path for a brand new guest experience. Uh, and again, as you mentioned at the top of, of the show here, Lynn, you were among the first to actually get to experience this along with, with Joe Rody, the lead Imagineer in Animal Kingdom. So let's talk about that experience. This, this was back in 2011, right? Yeah, and it's it's looking back on it, the experience that I went through is so vastly different than what you would go through today, both in terms of like booking it mm-hmm. And then in terms of like social media and Disney stage managing it. Okay. So in, you know, for this particular thing, I had heard that it was going to be bookable. Mm-hmm. You know, one day I had absolutely no trouble booking the first tour on the first day. Mm-hmm. And I think at the time it was like two or $300. It was fairly expensive mm-hmm. for that time. But, you know, I showed up, there was no large band of media relations people. Mm-hmm. They had not brought in 200 Instagram influencers the week before to get photos. We were basically at the the entrance to the, you know, another Gorilla Falls mm-hmm. exploration trail. We were around there. Mm-hmm. You know, they told us to show up near this side entrance. Mm-hmm. Joe Rody was there. He said a few words to like the 10 people who were on the tour, uh, you know, about like what motivated them to create the tour and mm-hmm. about his experiences and stuff. We all got a couple of quick photos and then we were on the tour. The um it was really casual, you know, mm-hmm. meeting Joe. It was it wasn't like there was this Big presentation with a podium. He's like, hey, my name's Joe. Let me tell you a little bit about the tour, mm-hmm. which is kind of my favorite Joe Rody story. Mm-hmm. But the things I remember about the beginning of the tour was one, um, they were really insistent about you using the restrooms mm-hmm. before you went on the tour. There we go. The other thing that they were really insistent on was getting an absolutely snug fit mm-hmm. on the safety harnesses that you were wearing. So these aren't just like, vests that you put on. Mm -hmm. These are things that you step into with your legs Mm -hmm. and then wrap around your chest. And it's multi-point safety harnesses with not only like a main safety cable, but like one or two backup cables 
Like there was no fooling around <laughs> with this. And my question, Jimmy, you know, when I, you know, when going through these two things, it, it was as always like, tell me the story that led to this point. Like what, what was it? And they're like, oh, you'll see once we get to the hippo uh, pools and the crocodile pits. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yeah. Thank you, Disney Legal. Yeah. They also said that anything that we carried, mm-hmm. cameras, anything like that, had to be strapped to you. Mm-hmm. So you couldn't just carry a loose cell phone. Okay. It had to have, you know, if you wanted to take pictures, you had to bring a camera mm-hmm. with a strap. And the strap had to be like around your neck or around your wrist at all times. Like mm-hmm. you couldn't just you couldn't just carry it. Also things like water bottles had to have clips mm-hmm. that were on your wrist. So basically you couldn't drop anything into the enclosures, which mm-hmm. totally makes sense. Yep. But if you hadn't planned for that, right, it was it was different. So can you walk through sort of the batting order of, of this initial Wild Africa track? Yeah. So we started, I believe, at the Hippo Trail. Um, where they gave us some uh, lettuce mm-hmm. to throw at the uh, at the hippos, and the hippos were sort of, if I remember, the hippos were glad to see us, mm-hmm. but hippos don't move very fast. It's mm-hmm. not like throwing a dog a treat. <laughs> the hippos sort of like came over to where you were eating and mm-hmm. sort of ate the lettuce. But I, I definitely got a sense of ennui mm-hmm. from the hippos. Like, eh, you know. Um, the cool thing about that though, was after the hippos, mm-hmm. we immediately went into the rope bridges mm-hmm. and this is the part that you can see when you're on the safari. And let me yes. just say, this is actually the coolest part mm-hmm. of the, of the entire, uh, trip because you're going from the hippos. You're like, you know, 20, 30 feet above the, mm-hmm. um, above the enclosures, you know, the, the ground of the enclosures, they send you one at a time mm-hmm. over the bridge. And if you're in pairs, they will let the first person stop mm-hmm. so that the second person can take photos of them. And then, you know, the same thing in reverse, like when the first person gets to the end, the second person can stop in the middle of the rope bridge mm-hmm. and get a picture of just them on the bridge. So that's uh, that's kind of cool. So okay. you, uh, you definitely have the chance for really, really good photos. Mm-hmm. Then you do the, um, the crocodile mm-hmm. enclosure, which is pretty cool. Actually, yeah, the crocodiles just kind of sit here mm-hmm. and then you, you walk through a little bit more. I think there's one more enclosure, if I recall correctly. But eventually, you end up on a safari truck. And mm-hmm. you would think it's the same safari truck that they use during the Kilimanjaro safaris. But it's actually a different truck, Jim. Mm-hmm. This is more like a flatbed pickup with wooden sides that have been placed so that you can stand up. And again, you're sort of like harnessed in and you drive around the savannah. But it's a completely different vehicle and much smaller than the one that typically goes out on the safaris. Mm-hmm. Anybody who's been on Kilimanjaro Safari, I mean, you zoom through that 110 acres, you get to see spectacular view of the animals. But this is different. This is a leisurely tour. Through the yeah, space. you get much more time with the animals. Mm-hmm. And you also drive in on parts of the savanna that the big trucks aren't allowed to go. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. So you get a better view of like the giraffes, for example, if they're up on the hill. You know, like when you sort of make that big first turn. Mm-hmm. You go past the uh, the painted dogs, make sort of the big right turn, and the giraffes are kind of there. There are places that the Kilimanjaro Safari vehicles cannot go, mm-hmm. where these little pickup trucks can go. So you get up-close views of the giraffes there. Also, the um, elephant wading pool or bathing pool, mm-hmm. you get much closer to. Oh, um, cool. Yeah, so that was, uh, that was really, really good. You get, um, you get flamingos mm-hmm. as well. 
I don't remember much of like the second half of it because after a while, I think all the eight came together. Mm-hmm. Uh, you sort of blend together. The the big thing I remember was mm-hmm. they built a special outpost yes. on the savannah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So they drop you off there, and mm-hmm. it's it's basically like having your own private room at the Animal Kingdom Lodge where you can overlook the savannah, mm-hmm. but way closer and way more private. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, you can kind of see this building. Mm-hmm. On your right as you're going through the main part of the savannah. It's got a porch mm-hmm. where you can sit out with you know, with chairs and stuff. And as I was saying, this is like a three-hour tour. This is sort of like the last hour, 45 minutes of it. And the orientation is such that I guess one side favors the elephants, the flamingo pool, and the grasslands, whereas the rear of, of – I guess it's called the BOMA, this observation deck – now, I guess you have to use binoculars, but you have a, a pretty spectacular view of the rock formation that the lions are on, right? The lions, yeah. And we actually heard the lions on my tour um, it would, more than we saw them, mm-hmm. which was kind of interesting because you never hear the lions mm-hmm. on a safari tour. But if you're there enough mm-hmm. and you don't have to listen over the the engine or the guide speaking, you can definitely hear the lions from this. The other thing that was remarkable they give you a um, they give you food, mm-hmm. and it's a special meal that's provided by either Boma or Tusker House. I can't mm-hmm. remember which one. Okay, but it's in this set of tins, mm-hmm. and it, just amazing food, Jim. Mm-hmm. So basically, all the uh, all the pomegranate, mm-hmm. uh, orange, uh, guava juice that you can drink. So pog juice from the Polynesian uh, or water or whatever. Mm-hmm. Plus, and you know they have sodas and, and other things. But the food was incredibly delicious. So there was. Okay. Um, there's like fruit and yogurt. There were um, a variety of meats and, you know, they had plant-based options and stuff like that too. Mm-hmm. But the the food, I think, was, you know, other than the animals, other than the rope bridge mm-hmm. in the Savannah tour, the food was like one of the top three of my highlights really? for the trek. Mm-hmm. And it was, it, so it, and also three hours, like you think, oh God, I could spend all day in the Savannah. Three hours is exhausting, Jim. Mm-hmm. At the end of the third hour, I was super tired mm-hmm. and ready to be done. So they... Uh, they pop you in the truck and you uh, you end up back at the Gorilla Falls Exploration Trail, like right on, on the side of it. So you get to see a little bit of the back stage area there. But three-hour tour, if it went four, I would have been exhausted. Like okay. three is the exact right amount of time for that. You feel like you got your money's worth, mm-hmm. but like any more wouldn't have been – it would start to be not fun. Then they hike you back to – didn't you have to like surrender belongings, put them in lockers, that sort of thing? Or? Yeah, yeah. There's Like I said, there's stuff that you can't bring. So if you had like a cell phone that wasn't – you couldn't attach mm-hmm. to your vest or, you know, you had a, a bag that you couldn't mm-hmm. attach to your vest, you, you get lockers um, and then you go pick those things up. At this point, again, I was so tired during the day. I barely remember. No, 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 no. I get that. I get that. I, I will say this. The um, sturdy shoes. Super important on this on this tour among among all others. Yeah, yeah, and in fact, they are rather insistent that no open toed shoes during you know the I, I, Crocs they will allow, but uh, but no open toe. So yeah. you mentioned two three hundred dollars back in the day. These days, the price point varies. Again, it's depending on the time of year. From one hundred ninety nine dollars yeah. to two hundred forty nine dollars per person. Yeah, the price came down right after we had. Um I think right after we had started it, mm-hmm. but then they went to variable date pricing. They did. They did. And yeah. even today, there is there is an annual pass holder discount, likewise a DVC. But again, I, I also understand that seasonal. 
of course, like so many of these backstage tour experiences, got suspended during the pandemic, of course, yeah. you know, when the parks were shut down and then when the parks came back up in April of 2020 or April, May, June, you know, in that window. It was quite a while before Wild Africa Trek came back online. In fact, I want to say it was December of 2021. But to this day, people hugely enjoy it. In fact, the people who've done Wild Africa Trek, it's like, well, when are you going to start doing something like this over in Asia? And... I sense a lot of birds over over there, Jim. <laughs> a lot of birds. Oh, also, it's the matter of the tigers. There is the tiger, yeah. You know, and in fact, well, the interesting thing is that if you you drill down into the original history of, of Kali River Rapids, back when it was called Tiger River Rapids, concept art actually shows you guests in rafts floating past the Maharaja's uh, abandoned hunting palace. And you, you can literally see tigers out in the open just across the way. And and it was one of these things where they brought the animal experts in and it's like, oh, that's a cute painting. You know tigers can swim, right? <laughs> yeah, they can, they, can, they can jump like 30 feet and swim, right? There you yeah. go. So uh, yeah, that, that fell off the table and evidently that is the problem. Everything in Asia will kill you. It just even, <laughs> you know, for example, I, do you remember which the celebrity was who, I, I, again, it's one of these things, why would you want to go into the Komodo dragon exhibit? But evidently he and his wife went into the Komodo dragon exhibit and the Komodo dragon then bit his wife on the ankle and it turns out their mouth is so septic that it it, yeah. it took months of procedures to, to, to finally heal this poor woman. So yes, yeah, but their mouths have so many germs. That, yeah, uh, that it's, so yeah. yeah, this ain't happening in Asia. So it, enjoy wild Africa trek, but no, I, I, you know, that was, uh, thank you. That was a great walkthrough Len. I, you know, yeah. that, uh, and it was a, at least it was a lot of fun to do. I would, I would totally recommend it. If you've got the time and the interest and the money, um, it is the thing that you will do that day and then go home or back to your hotel and relax. Um, because it is, it's a lot of on your feet. Um, it's surprisingly stressful to lean over the enclosures because you're, you know, I mean, you're strapped in, right? And so there's, you know, there's still some adrenaline oh, no, you know, no, going no, through no. your body. And, and again, there's mean old Mister Gravity who's yeah. telling me. I mean, you're still, you're still, your core strength is still being engaged. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a lot. So. Yeah, but still, super fun. Yeah, a lot of fun. I really, uh, really enjoyed it, and I'm glad it's uh, it's continued to this day. It's good. Okay. Well, well, thanks for sharing that story. That that was great. I'm to see if uh, if Aaron has uh, photos of us together because we we're all a decade younger than we are now. So if I do, we'll post them. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. And Jim, we've just completed a two-part series on Walt Disney's 300-plus page FBI file. By the way, Jim, I mentioned this uh, on a show, and then uh, somebody somehow emailed me the Walt Disney World FBI file, which I am now going through because that is super exciting uh, too. Can't wait to see that. Can't one. wait yep. to go through it. All right. On next week's show, it's the history of Disney's Swiss Family Treehouse. Jim will give us the history of that unique attraction and a preview of what to expect with the current Disneyland redo. You can find more of Jim at jimhillmedia.com and more of me, Len, at touringplans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be staffing the information booth to answer your most pressing questions, such as whether celery belongs on a lobster roll and whether the lobster itself should be served hot or cold. At the Maine Lobster Festival, starting Tuesday, August 1st, 2023, at Harbor Park in beautiful seaside Rockland, Maine. While Aaron's doing that, please go into iTunes and Radar Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We will see you on the next show.